want to thank you for subscribing and listening in to our podcast today. Uh, please rate and review us. We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor, you want more information about our church, text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will follow up with you. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520 and click on the link and you will have the option of giving one time or on a regular basis. We would greatly appreciate your support and thanks again for listening. Have a great week. How many of you follow someone on social media? Anybody? follow someone, maybe a celebrity, a casual acquaintance, a friend of a friend, or maybe even a close friend. Quite a few of you, right? Well, for those of you who do, you know that what is required to be a follower of that person is for you to simply click follow. And then you can follow them as closely as you want, right? You can read every post, you can like every post, you can comment on their posts, or never revisit their page again. You can private message them, exchange personal information with them, and pursue an even deeper relationship, or you can keep your distance. Your commitment can be a whole lot or very little, yet you're still considered a follower of that person. I mention that because many view their relationship with Christ in this way. They, they think that they believe that what really matters is that initial decision made to follow Jesus. After that, the commitment level depends upon the one following. One can commit completely to that relationship or very little, but regardless of the commitment, they are still a follower of Jesus. Many believe this. Many believe that all that is required to be a follower of Jesus is to just believe facts to be true about Him, pray a simple prayer, make a simple profession of faith, walk an aisle, and then go on with life as usual. This is what is called easy believism. And here in East Texas, in the belt buckle, the Bible belt, we are drenched with this type of teaching. Many believe that this is all that's needed. Make a simple statement of faith. Say a simple prayer. Walk an aisle. Check a box that says follower of Jesus. And that's all that's really required. If that is true then what did Jesus mean when he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What did he mean by that? 
What we're going to learn this morning is that being a follower of Jesus, being a true disciple of His goes much, much deeper than saying a simple rote prayer or lifting up your hand while every head is bowed and eye is closed. Being a true disciple of Christ is more than putting Christian on your Facebook profile. I heard someone say recently, many believe following Jesus is more about wearing a cross than bearing a cross. Scripture is clear that the latter is in fact true. We're going to learn that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27 this morning. Charles Swindoll, when talking about what it takes to be a, a, a true follower, a true Christ follower, when, when commenting on Jesus' teachings here in Luke 9, he says this. Look at this quote up on the screen. One becomes a convert by trusting in Christ, but that's just the beginning. Birth necessarily leads to living. Believing leads to learning. Learning leads to transforming. Transforming leads to obeying. This is the progression of a Christian, without which one is not likely a genuine believer. I agree, and I believe that is the proper application to be made here from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Now, to understand this passage, we need to understand it in connection with the passage that we looked at last week when we studied Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. Look back at it with me. Remember last week we said in that passage that Jesus is asking the most important question in life. Who am I? He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So they led with giving him the popular opinions of the day. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets of old has risen. And then, then Jesus asked them specifically, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter pipes up and says, you are the Christ of God meaning you are the promised one. You are God's Messiah. You are the ones that the, the prophets told us about. You are the snake crusher promised on the heels of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. You are the blessing to the nations from Genesis chapter 12. You are God's forever king from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then Jesus lets Peter know he is correct. That response is correct. And then he gives some shocking news. He says in Luke 9.22, look at it. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. We said last week that while Peter makes this incredible profession about the Lord Jesus Christ, he and the disciples are still confused about the work that God sent his Messiah to accomplish. 
Many were, were looking forward to the Messiah to come and they thought he was going to be this powerful military leader, this, this political liberator. Jesus tells them in Luke 9.22 that he has not come in that way. He has come as the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. He has come as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He has come to destroy an enemy, but the enemy that he has come to destroy is sin and death. He has come to, to destroy the works of Satan. He has come to set them free, but the chains that he has come to break are the chains of sin. He has come to rescue them, but what he has come to rescue them from is the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of judgment that's coming that's going to be poured out on God's enemies. He has come to restore them, the wayward people. He has come to restore them to a right relationship with the living God through repentance and faith in Christ. And he lets them know that the way he's going to accomplish this great work is very, very unique. He's going to accomplish it by being rejected and killed and raised. That's how he's going to do it. The religious leaders who were looking for this mighty military political Messiah. They're going to reject Jesus as the Messiah, even though he is the Messiah. They're going to reject him, and they're going to have him put to death. And it is through that rejection, through Christ's death, and then his resurrection, from that great work will come salvation for all who believe on him. This message was shocking to Jesus' disciples, so much so that we're told in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 16, that Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. He says in verse 23 of Matthew 16, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see that the way of the Messiah was the way of the cross. Well, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27, Jesus lets his disciples know that not only is the way of the Messiah the way of the cross, but the way of his disciples is the way of the cross. Very shocking. Let's read this passage together. Then I want to draw out a couple of key principles from this text of Scripture. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Hear the word of God. And he said to all, he's speaking to his disciples here, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. In this day, as we've said already, many of the Jewish people were, were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. 
this coming of this, this powerful military leader, this political liberator. They were looking forward to following him to victory and glory and power and dominion here on earth. They wanted to make a guy like that king over the kingdoms of the world. They were looking for someone to come and make life good for them. They, they thought that was the path of the Messiah. But, but Jesus tells the twelve here that the path of the Messiah is the way of the cross. And he tells them, if you want to follow me, your path is the way of the cross as well. Following Jesus, Jesus tells them, following me means following him in death. A dying to self, a denying of self, a dying to my wants and my needs and my desires and living life for God and His glory. It's a path of humility, sacrifice, suffering, and death before glory. The disciples learned from the jump that following Christ is costly. Do you realize that, believers? It's costly. And that has not changed. You don't just roll out of bed and into the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke says this. Look at this quote. Our walk with God is not something that takes place on automatic pilot. For many... Christianity is merely a guaranteed ticket to heaven. But Jesus never envisioned the faith as a one-stop experience. Jesus makes it clear just how demanding it is. The path of following Jesus requires spiritual labor, the bearing of a cross daily. There's a story of a missionary in Brazil. While he was there, he was at a religious celebration one evening and he noticed all these different booths set up throughout this throughout this gathering and they're selling these different religious items and he noticed one booth with the sign on it that read cheap crosses and he thought to himself that's what many are looking for today a cross that doesn't cost there's no such thing think about that statement it's ridiculous Jesus makes it clear to have life, one must lose life. It's, it's a costly call. To follow Jesus will cost you your life. But is it worth it, believers? Is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? He absolutely is. Jesus will explain this to them. Two points. I want you to see here from this text on following Jesus. Number one, I want you to see the one who loses his life for Christ will save it. The one who loses his life for Christ will save it. Look at verse 23 and then the end of verse 24. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. End of verse 24. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In verse 23, we have three imperatives, three commands. Jesus says, to follow me, to be my disciple, one must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's break these down. First, let's talk about denying self. What does this mean, deny yourself? This means we must submit our lives to Christ's agenda, saying no to what we want when it does not align with what He wants. 
It's knowing that His will in His way is what is best. Jesus demonstrated this for us beautifully on the night He was betrayed when He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. When He prays that the cup be passed from Him. He he knew what lied ahead, but He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's being our example there. We're to know that what God wants is what's best, regardless of what our flesh tells us. Robert Stein says this, look at this quote. This is a rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. Instead, a disciple is to be one who seeks to fulfill the will and the teachings of Christ. Believers, it means renouncing any and everything that even threatens our allegiance with the King of God's kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to seek first His kingdom, denying our own. Now, this is completely counter to the beliefs and teachings and views of those in our world today. Today, when you hear of success stories in business or in in sports, they are usually not stories of self-denial and self-sacrifice to God. They're not. You hear phrases like, my success is because I made the best decisions for me. You hear certain people even shamefully admit that they sacrificed relationships with friends and family on the altar of success. Others say, I did not let anything get in the way of me accomplishing what I want, my goals. Many applaud these types of stories, but Jesus calls for his disciples to go a completely different way. He says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have to deny what you want. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Jesus says, to follow me, you're going to have to bear a cross, not simply wear one. The Christian life is more than just giving lip service to God. We see a lot of that today. Just saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. You remember that song? Many are just giving lip service to God. The calling of Christ is a call to die. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, says, when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids that man to come and die. The Bidi Anyabwile in his commentary on Luke, look at this quote. If following Jesus only meant clicking a button, then everyone would do it. Jesus goes to a cross. So we who follow him must go to a cross too. He dies for us and we die with him. Now, while following Jesus meant literal death for most of his disciples and many of the faithful throughout church history and should be a sacrifice that we're willing to make as well, believers, because Jesus is absolutely worth it, worth more than anything this world has to offer. Notice Jesus talks here about taking up your cross daily. Underline that word daily. Words are important. He's talking about a daily dying to self, a daily dying to your wants, 
your needs, your desires, so that you live your life for God and His glory. That's what he's calling for. I believe Jesus' words here could be uh, understood next to Paul's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he calls for believers to offer their bodies as living sacrifices before God. When you go to Romans 12, 1, underline living. Those words are important. That's very unique to refer to something as a living sacrifice. Let me read it for you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This, this imagery here was meant to take Paul's Jewish readers back to these countless numbers of sacrifices that were offered up to God. They were always offered up dead, weren't they? They killed them, poured out their blood, offered them up. Paul is using this imagery here in Romans 12.1 and he puts in the word living sacrifice to, to show his, his readers this is how you're to view your Christian life. It is to be a daily practice of self-sacrifice, a daily practice of denying what you want in order to live for God's glory and live your life the way he wants. This is what Christ is calling for here. Third imperative, third command given is to follow him. So he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Talk as I talk, walk as I walk, love as I love, live as I live. Be about God's kingdom, be about what matters for eternity. Cling tightly to heavenly things, hold loosely to earthly things. Endure suffering and rejection if it be God's will while remaining faithful to God's gospel and obedient in your walk with Christ. Follow me. And then Jesus says, this sacrifice is a sacrifice worth making. Every sacrifice to God is, right? This one especially. Look at verse 24. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. One of the great paradoxes in Scripture. To save our life, we must lose it. True life, eternal life is found when we die to our wants, our ways, our desires and lay our lives down and give them over to Jesus. That's where life is found. It's found when we see the, the wickedness and the futility of living life for self on our own, apart from and opposed to God. And when we forsake that way and lay it down before King Jesus, it's when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that we are lost and alone apart from God. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And when we forsake our wicked pursuit of our, of our wants and our desires, and when we look to and trust in Christ alone for forgiveness and salvation. Folks, that is where true and abundant life is found. It is found through this death that we must die. Then we're told here in the text that while we as Christ's disciples are required to carry a cross and lay our lives down, when we do that, we find that through that there is life. Christ said, if you follow me, it'll cost you everything. But if you pay that price, if you lay it all down for my sake, you will receive in return everything. You'll receive life 
true life. Abundant life. Eternal life. In me and with me forever. So the one who loses his life for Christ will save it. Point number two. The one who saves his life for self will lose it. I love how simply Christ taught, don't you? It's very, very simple. Look at verse 24, first part. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Jesus tells his disciples that those who refuse to follow the path of the Messiah, those who refuse to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Him, those who refuse to lay their lives down and give their lives over to Him, those who instead try to carve out an existence and a, a purpose in life apart from Him will not find happiness, though they seek it with all their heart. They will not find it. In fact, they will lose their lives. Happiness in this life is not found in the things of this world, in the time one has in this world. Now, there are many on that path seeking that out. You see it every day, everywhere you go. That's what the world tells us leads to happiness. Happiness is found in life, and it's found in these things. It's a lie. Christ comes and he says, happiness is found in this life and it's found in me. In this life and in the life to come. Look at verse 25. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's basically saying, if you could, which you couldn't, but if you could possess everything, you would lose all if in that pursuit you forfeited the most important thing, the thing you were created for, life with God through me. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, all that is in the world are the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Jesus says, if you had all those things, all your, your, your passions hunger for, all your eyes covet, all that your pride demands, you would have nothing if in the process of possessing those things, you forfeit yourself. You forfeit that, that which matters most, that which you were created for, life with God through Christ. You could strive to possess all that your wicked heart wants. Again, many on this path. And it would be a bad venture because it would cost you that which is most precious, abundant and eternal life with God through Christ. Folks, can we agree that that's truly the costly path? We often talk about the path of Jesus as the costly path. That's the truly costly one. That's what Jesus is saying. Saying yes to the world and no to Christ is a bad venture because it costs you your life. Christ wants us to know that this life is brief. It'll soon be gone. And all that will matter in the end is what we did with Jesus. Whether or not we believed on Him, trusted in Him, gave our lives to Him, that's all that matters in life. 
That's what Jesus is getting at here with his disciples. It was C.T. Studd who said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus' point here. Look at Luke 9, 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is speaking of a future day when he returns. And he says, in that day, when I come in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, when I appear and all are brought before me, all that will matter in that day is what one has done with Jesus. Whether or not they have believed on him, surrendered to his lordship, given their lives up and over to him, that is all that will matter. In that day, some of the most prominent, successful men and women in history, those who at one time appeared to have the world by the tail, will see that they wasted their life because they rejected the author of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Daryl Bach, sorry for all these quotes. There's just so many good ones on this text. Look at this. Those who reject Christ will face his rejection when he returns with all of heaven's glory. They will get what they have chosen, separation from him. Believers, that will not be our end. Hallelujah. It's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And he even lets them know that some of them are going to get to taste what is to come before they taste death. Very, very cool. Look at verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, this verse of Scripture has been heavily discussed and debated. What does Jesus mean when he says that some of the disciples are not going to taste death before they see this heavenly display of God's glory, before they see the coming of God's kingdom. Some say this is a reference to what takes place in the next passage, where we'll be next week, just a little over a week later, when Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John on the mountain there, and they see Christ in all His glory. They get a glimpse there, Peter, James, and John do, of Christ's glory and and what it will be like when He returns in heaven's glory. Some say that, that Christ is alluding to those who witness His resurrection and ascension. You're going to read that passage this week in your scripture reading from Acts chapter 1. We're told that they saw Christ go into the heavens and then they're told by angels that they will see Him return in the way in which they saw Him go. So some say that that's what they're referring to because we know Judas tasted death before, before that heavenly display. Others say that Seeing the kingdom of God is a reference to the Spirit of God coming at Pentecost. We're not not for sure. There's there's other explanations given as well. At first I thought Jesus was, was only referring to this event on the Mount of Transfiguration that we'll look at next because it occurs in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, on the heels 
of Jesus' statement here. So it's meant to be viewed in the context of, of what, what will happen next. But some commentators argue against that. They say uh, Christ saying some of you will not taste death before you witness this. They say it doesn't make sense for him to be just referring to an event that happens a little over a week later because sure, a lot of the disciples, all the disciples aren't going to taste death before that time, right? So maybe he wasn't referring to that. R.C. Sproul argues in his commentary on Matthew about the event. He says the language implies a period longer than a week. So there's a lot of debate on this. I tend to believe that Christ may not have been just speaking of one event, but a series of events that the disciples will experience in the days ahead. I believe he is referring to the transfiguration again because that is the event that occurs on the heels of this event, but future events as well. We know that Peter, James, and John were the some who got to witness Christ's heavenly glory there, but then they'll, later there will be a lot who witness Christ leaving and when they're told He's going to return the way you saw Him go. This promise here is similar to the promise that was made to Simeon at the beginning of Luke. You remember that? Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was a righteous and devout man, and he was promised that he would not see death before he sees the Lord's Christ. The disciples are being shown this sort of favor here. But the main point that Jesus is making here is that there is coming a day when He will return. And while that will be a great and terrible day for those who have rejected Him, it will be an awesome and glorious day for His true disciples. And we see this great favor shown to Christ's disciples here by letting them get a glimpse of this, a taste of this, before dying. What will this day be like for you? Scripture is clear that Christ is returning someday soon. And that someday might be today. So we got to be ready. Are you ready for that day? Christ is returning and He is bringing glory to His people, to His followers. In addition to that, He's bringing judgment. Salvation to his followers, judgment to his enemies. The one who came the first time to save is returning to save, but he's also returning to judge. There is a future day of judgment coming for Christ's enemies. And the question for you to answer this morning is, what will that day be like for you? Will it be like we said in our study of Zephaniah? A day for you to dread or a day for you to look for in anticipation. To ready yourself for that day. God tells us in His Word that we must see ourselves as sinners in need of salvation. This is why Christ came. He came to do what Adam failed to do, and He came to do what we could never do. He came to live the perfect life for us. And lay that perfect life down as our perfect substitute and sacrifice so that 
if we would forsake our sin and place our faith alone in His person and work alone for salvation, we could be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with the living God through Christ. Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned from your sin? Have you denied yourself? Have you taken up your cross? Have you died to your way of living, your wants, your needs, your desires, and have you laid your life down at the feet of Jesus? If not, that's your invitation today. I invite you today to do just that. Give your life up and over to Christ today. Trust in Him alone for your salvation today and be saved. Let's pray together.